This is going to be a, li- this is a live podcast recording, um, so we hope you find that a bit of fun. Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman, and this is a special live episode of the show at Spark, a Capgemini CXO forum in beautiful Paris, France. Sadly, my normal co-hosts, Shaukia and Rob, are not able to make the trip, so I'm flying solo today. Thankfully, I've got three great guests to help me explore how you accelerate tech-driven business transformation and whether your business is evolving at the right pace in today's world. But before we dig into that, I wonder if we can just introduce our guests. So Sylvain, would you like to kick off? Yes, sure. So I'm Sylvain Jones, CTO of Carrefour, uh, who wants to be a digital retail company. Uh, That's what the CEO says. And so I'm Happy to be here. We'll explore that this morning, Sylvain. So thank you very much. Nice to see you. Yes. So good morning. My name is Patrick Oestreich. Um, I'm the Group Chief Commercial Officer, a member of the Executive Board of Hellman Worldwide Logistics. So we basically are also an atom-based company moving physical stuff around the world. Right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kemal Chetin. I'm the Global CIO for Frisian Campina, who is a very much atom and milk-based company. Atoms and milk. Atoms good start. So thank you very much for being here. It's great to see you and thank you for joining us in the room this morning. I'm just going to put a bit of a thesis in the room in terms of technical adoption patterns. So when you look across the journey to becoming digital as an industry, what does what does that look like at the moment? And I think there are two predominant patterns visible in most at least large-scale organizations that are that are on the journey from being an atom-based organization being a digital-based organization. So pattern one would look like an IT-centric movement. So it could be the exit of a data center to the cloud, or it could be a large ERP implementation. These things are often cost-centric business cases, often driven by IT or some of the technical enthusiasts in the organization, and can sometimes not go particularly well. So they might be more expensive than originally thought. They may not deliver the business benefits that were originally thought. And I think if you look back at IT, right back through to, say, the millennium bug sort of period or the original dot-com boom, and the promise of IT at that point, and like, has that promise been realized? I'm not sure. The second predominant pattern, though, is then driven by business leaders. And they pop up lighthouse implementations of technology And that could be the chief marketing officer wanting to take their organization from a B2B organization to a B2C organization. It could be a supply chain leader wanting to leverage a data lake across their supply chain to make supply chain efficiencies. And those lighthouses pop up across the organization. Sometimes they're integrated back into core IT. Sometimes they're not integrated back into core IT. But the observation I have is whether organizations from a leadership perspective take the time to join those dots up. If you join those dots up, what more profound change can be driven in an organization from, from thinking differently about how we leverage our technology? So let me put that to the panel initially. First of all, do you recognize that pattern of implementation in your organization? And actually stepping past that, what would actually would be your ambition into, into moving into a digital company? 
Sylvain, maybe you'd like to kick us off. Uh, I, I fully agree with the existence of those two patterns. At Carrefour, in the last few years, we've invested massively in uh, e-commerce, and that was the lighthouse for la the last three or four years. Right. On the other side, we've invested massively into going fully 100% to the cloud. That's IT-based yeah. movement. Yeah, yeah. And what I'm trying to put in place is an organization where you have the business and the IT working in unified teams mm. so that choices of projects are made together. Maybe that's the in-between movement. Right, right. And, and, and actually incenting leaders in that conversation to, to go out and seek the ability to leverage, leverage things that may be already in place to drive a more powerful outcome. Yeah, that method we call it uh, four in a box, meaning the business, the product, the design, and the tech and data working together to uh, leading that change so that it's no more a business decision or a tech decision, but it's a, it's a together decision into the, the projects we want to do and the change we want to make. Hmm. And Patrick, I'm, I'm noticing your footwear to, <laughs> to start with. I don't know if you say a little word about that and then maybe do. do you recognize this? This pattern. Yeah. So, so first of all, I think your hypothesis is certainly something I recognize in the business as much. And, and as Silva said, what I what I realize and recognize in day in daily work is basically these patterns exist because they exist of organizational design, right? Mm -hmm. So you have an IT department or you have a business owner or a business unit basically run by somebody, and that leads to the outcome you just described. Yeah. So, um, in in our case. We have two very practical examples I want to share today. Is one was probably more on the first side of your hypothesis, being a tech-led um, project in the company, which was to replace our transport management system. So that's the backbone of any transportation company is your transport management system. That was a purely IT-led thing to mm -hmm. replace a very old AS400 technology with a state-of-the-art technology. Um, and only, only over time, people started to realize this can't be an IT project. This needs to be owned by the people right. in the field. This and needs and to was be owned by operators. And, and was that happening at a point where maybe it wasn't going so well? Yes, that happened at the end of the day when we started to launch the first countries, um, where the first transition of old system into new system happened. And then the people, the users actually out there, basically said, yeah, but this is not what we need, right? Yeah, they yeah, looked yeah. at this and said, like, okay, it's, we recognize the upgrade of the system but we don't recognize that this helps us in our daily interaction. Yeah? So we learned out of that mistake, you started to build cross-functional teams. The other thing is, we, the, the other, ex, other example is would a, a business-led um, thing, which was to also renew our CRM system. So we didn't have anyone before, it, besides a, I would call it a database where you collected information, but didn't really do anything with it. This was more business-led, but from design, we basically very clearly said from the beginning, it needs to be cross-collaborative, cross-functional, so that we basically learn from the mistakes we had in the past. And Kamal, I think your organization is very specifically an atom-based organization. So I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind giving us a perspective on that from, from your seat and ultimately what, what might your version of a digital um, organization look like? Uh, sure, for those who don't know Frisian Campina, we are a company owned by a dairy cooperative, by dairy farmers in Netherlands, Germany and, uh, Germany and Belgium. And then we operate in 30 countries and we sell in 100 countries. So it is a very atom-based business. You know, we process around 10 billion liters of milk every year. Hmm. And then we have to receive that milk as we are a, a cooperative ecosystem. And then we need to turn that obviously milk into valued products, whether it is basic dairy products or whether it is very high-end infant nutrition products and anything in between. So the, and we have 49 plants and um, over 100 warehouses. So it is a very 
21,000 people. It is a very physical value chain. Mm. Um, what I would describe the journey that we are on is we are working on digitizing the way that we work rather than making us a digital business. Because right. at the end of the right. day, the milk will exist. We will turn that into many value-added products our consumers and customers enjoy. Mm. At the same time, we cannot ignore where the world is going. Digitization is a big theme in that context. We need to adapt it to be smart. There are certain defensive requirements. Yeah. There are certain offensive opportunities, let's say. And that will only happen if you approach it with the right mindset of looking at how do you digitize the way that you work as a company? How do you digitize marketing? How do you digitize sales? Yeah. How do you digitize manufacturing and rest of supply chain, HR, whatever, right? Everything that we do in the organization. That's at least the, the language that we try to use. And in some parts of the organization that resonates more than the others, the ones that I see are embracing this much more are the parts of the organization that embed this as a part of their college strategy or messaging or mm. their ambition saying, hey, you know what? You want to exist in these categories. You want to sell these type of products for these type of consumers, but we also want to leverage how to do this in a much more digitized way while respecting the atom and the atomic value chain that we have across the organization that is not disappearing. Yeah, and, and without wanting to be very specific on language, are you specifically using the term digitize versus digitalize? Uh, I, I, I specifically use the word digitize versus digitalize. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's yes. an interesting, that's an interesting uh, difference, isn't it? In the sense that digitizes, you know, just, just to be clear, that digitizes where you're taking an existing process and and trying to make it more efficient and more effective through digitizing it. And digitalization is where you might profoundly change something you're doing as an organization. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could just dig into that for us in the context of your organization. What was that discussion? Who knows what will happen in 10, 20, 30 years, of course, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there is already the discussions about making synthetic milk. I mean, that technology is coming. Maybe that is digitalization of our business model yeah. at the end of the day. Right could be, but in terms of what we do today and how we exist and how we operate, the opportunity is digitizing the way that we work so we can sell more at a lower cost, ideally, create more margin, create more value for mm -hmm. our owner farmers, as well as all the other uh, stakeholders. Uh, you know, we sustainability, big deal for us, big part of what we can do from a sustainable perspective can also be achieved through digitizing, that, uh, digitizing the way that we work. An amazing distinction Within the, within the context of a, of a highly atom-based organization, yeah. I think. And now let's talk about pace of change. So it, it sounds like within your organization, you have certain change patterns happening at the moment and certain aspects of, of digital change going on. I guess just generally to get an immediate sense from the, from the panel, is it going fast enough? Is it going fast enough for your organization and for the market around you? I, I, I would probably say it depends on who you ask, yeah. your organization. <laughs> So certainly for some parts of the organizations, so, so the general answer is no, it's not going fast enough, mm. right? Um, if we are a company uh, which has the legacy in the 1871, so um, you have 150 plus years legacy um, family owned still, right? So right. this has a lot of dimensions around, also you need to change the, the family setup around it, you need to change supervisory board around it and everything. And this is a long chain of command which needs to understand that we need to accelerate, mm -hmm. right? So we mm -hmm. talk about accelerating business transformations today, but that means that everyone wants and needs to accelerate. Yeah, yeah? And um, that's why for us also, when we talked about how do we accelerate from a technological point of view, from an innovation point of view, setting out a 2027 ambition, we very quickly came to the conclusion we also need to change the underlying paradigm of culture and leadership yeah. because otherwise it's not going to happen. A similar dynamic, which is like the internal mechanism 
and legacy of the organization, I'm talking about the human legacy more than the tech legacy here, versus the speed of market change around the organization. Is that same dynamic visible in Carrefour, for example? Mm, I, I would say that there are factors that really speed up change. The availability of data and of tools to use that data, making it accessible to every, everybody. This changes a lot what people do in their work. Uh, on the other side, there are some points in the organization which are automated. So people are, that are needed are the different people, different uh, tools, different. Uh, so so I, I think it's uh, change happens at very different speeds at different levels of the organization. Mm. And uh, for instance, the supply chain at Carrefour, it's uh, something which has always existed, has always been digitized. We have, but but we still have tools dating from the 80s right. that still haven't right. changed. And we feel that now to accelerate, we need to change, really radically change those tools. And that's what we are in the process of. Right. And does that feel like the market is accelerating to a point where that's not a debate anymore? It's not a debate anymore at all. Uh, there is a lot of value to be get, uh, got from that. So that's where we're heading. Yeah. And uh, Kamal, maybe you can give us a perspective in terms of the rate of change in your industry. It sounds like you're on a digitization journey. What does that feel like in terms of the competition around you? I guess it, it, it again depends on who you ask, and it also is what's the reference point. As long as you are ahead of the last person in the in the pack, yeah. I guess it's a it's a good thing. It's the lion and the gazelle story, right? Right. You don't right. want to be the last one. Um, it's 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 an interesting dynamic that you also see. I mean, look at our farm, the farmers and the farms. They are super digitized. I mm. mean, every day, every time they actually uh, milk the cows, there is closely, if I'm not mistaken, 70 to 100 data points they gather out of each and every milking process. And this is stored in a database that is shared across Netherlands with all kinds of stakeholders. And they use that information to run the farms in a much better way in terms of improving yield, you know, taking better care of the animal, uh, giving mm. back more to the soil and all that kind of stuff. Then we come within the organization itself and we look at it. Some of the stories we also heard yesterday about HR processes, finance processes, a lot of manual work that's still going on uh, that is bouncing off between too many people and taking a long time. So you would think farms would be much more manual and uh, analog in that case, and they're much more digitized. And part of the processes that we have in the company are still uh, behind. It is about the mindset at the end of the day. It yeah. is not about the technology, you know. Um, right. People used to joke that for an IT guy, I used to worry too much about people, but at the end of the day, we're in people business. And uh, the bits and bytes are important, and um, you need to know what to do with it and do it in, the, in, a, in a better way. But at the end of the day, this is about people. This is about helping people understand that they need to change and the benefit of explaining them the benefit of that change and successful change initiatives yeah. address that in the, in the right way. Unsuccessful ones usually end up being expensive ones too you know, fail, uh, fail on that point. Ex expensively implemented, but little used tools, typically well, when we, you deal we all with have, uh, We yeah. all have plenty of those things in our professional careers I, that I we don't want to talk about very explicitly. In the, in the history of the IT industry, unfortunately, there are a lot of examples yeah. of that, I agree. Yeah. But, and I think that's a great point to, to move on to talking about acceleration. And, and it sounds to me like that from an accelerant perspective, if you don't get the human element in this right, then you're going to be running against the tide the whole time. Patrick, from a human-centric change perspective, give us a perspective from, from what you're doing at the moment in your organization. I'll maybe return us back to your footwear. <laughs> yeah, so, so as I alluded to earlier on, uh, we very quickly understood when we were articulating as a leadership team that we want to build on a new ambition for the company. 
um, that we also need to change the underlying culture um, within the organization for making sure that people in the core business um, move faster. Hmm. But obviously, if you have like 14,000 employees, um, if you try to accelerate change, you will only move at the speed of the slowest person, hmm. right? Um, if your ambition is to not leave anyone behind. So what you have to do is you have to create a culture where you still keep, where you still start to accelerate the core business, but where also you create um, minimal viable organizations outside your core, which basically help you to transform much faster, which then has a pull effect to those minimal viable organizations where people join from the core organizations. They're mm. like, actually, this is a cool thing. I want to, I want to see an experiment with right. as well. So I go there and help them to, to basically build new business model, new areas of, of services, new revenue, new income, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so specifically back to the footwear, what we have done now as part of the preparation for the new strategy is a lot of these activation events out there with the employees, with the teams, et cetera, to tell them why we need to accelerate, back to your point as well, um, why it is important to also um, split the organization a little bit into core and minimal viable organization. And all of a sudden you start to see that what you thought as leaders of an organization that people might not be interested in change mm. becomes interesting to people because they say like, oh, I'm, I'm hearing of these 10 speedboats out there which you are creating. I actually want to join this one or this one or this one. Right. Uh, and then it creates this pull effect on the entire, let's say, workforce that they are, they are, they are going to go on a move. Yeah, and 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 our our business as a whole, same to yours, is is still very traditional. Mm. Yeah, um, and and that is also one of the learnings when you look at the entire participations or participants in the ecosystem you engage with, be it shipping lines, be it customs agents, etc. They also have to be digital, and they also need to accelerate because if you right. only accelerate and the rest of the ecosystem stands still, then you are still a, a front runner, but nothing else happens or the, the, the impact will be very much limited. And, and Patrick is wearing a pair of um, uh, Puma shoes which are branded for his organization with, I think, the, the motto or the, or the, or the vision the company of the organization, vision, yeah. the company vision. There's a really good story around why you chose that particular product to give to all of your uh, staff. Yeah, the, the, the story is, again, we also wanted to send a physical signal to the organization something is different. And that is not necessarily around sneakers. Puma is one of our largest customers, so that's a natural, uh, let's say, choice. Of, the, those of, sneakers are, ha happen to be very cool at the moment. So yeah, yeah a nice it, it, is, it is very cool. And yeah. actually, it was interesting because we just attended, that's a side note, quickly, 30 seconds. We attended um, a large industry event a couple of weeks ago uh, where Adidas came around and said, like, why are you not wearing our shoes? No and we way. said, like... We don't do any business, so hey, come to us <laughs> yeah. and we'll, we'll be happy to talk next time that we wear Adidas <laughs> shoes or a pair of Puma and Adidas, yeah. same time that can happen. But no, we, we wanted to send a signal to the organization that something is different. I mean, if you are a legacy 150 mm. plus years old organization, a lot of things are traditional. And that is also clothing, appearance, everything. And what we particularly did with the shoes is to say, like, look, you need shoes to run. You need shoes to accelerate. Yeah. But shoes are also symbolizing that you are standing now on different feet as an organization. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what we also wanted to build. I mean, that's a very small example, but it just shows that we, throughout the entire thought process of how do we activate the, the workforce around the globe, we want to send that signal. Yeah? And you can carry on with different appearance in terms of the management board, et cetera, which 10 years ago was all like in black suit, tie right. and everything. Right. Now everyone runs around in, in, in however they like to want, want to run around. Um, but also the, 
the the liquidity in the organization has massively increased. So so in mm. terms of people can now reach out to the CEO directly and he will not be offended by doing so. So so people also start to feel that something is different because we want to create a different momentum in the organization. I love it as a symbol of moving towards a different organization. And very briefly, I wanted to also touch on the business model examples that you were given. In your MVP businesses that you're setting up alongside the core business, what's your thinking on the next step? Do you pull that back into core business or do you migrate core business into successful MVP? I think it can be both. Depends on the outcome. It's probably easier to pull from core into the new one than the other way around. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. But um, I mean, we are pretty pretty open to that. But for us, it's an experiment as well mm. Yeah, to see which direction it, it goes and which is the better way. We also prepared for that some of these might fail, actually, yeah, because we, we have no one of us has ever tried this. No, right. So it also create you also have to create a company culture of accepting failure as something which is a learning a learning thing for yeah, the it's organization. Not a failure, it's a learning. Yeah. So um, my general feeling for the first uh, experiments we did is probably easier to move from core to new rather than the opposite way. Yeah, I think the risk of going the opposite way is that core crushes the new. Like visit, visit, actually visible in quite a lot of banks that tried that model. Uh, they tried to reintegrate and scale through core, and I, I'm really question whether that successfully worked. Um, Sylvan, we've, we, we talked there and, and had some great insight into what you might do to sort of motivate and, and send signals to staff that, that change is real and change is coming. But I wonder if we move up into the leadership stratosphere, what that means from leadership. And, um, do you, do you think that senior leadership, whether reflecting on your organization or it's more generalistically your, your choice, um, do you think it's true that says that if senior leaders don't recognize their personal need to change, that it will hold back their organization from changing? Yeah, really, I, I do. Uh, I think change comes from the start with the top uh, or can be stopped if the, sto- the top is not included. Mm. Uh, so really, uh, for instance, uh, at Carrefour, digital change, change as a whole, started with the CEO. Uh, he, in fact, said that he wanted Carrefour to be a digital retail company. And that gives an enormous momentum for the tech teams, the product teams, uh, to uh, be able to lead that change with right. that signal being given. And it becomes important, doesn't it? Because to, to, to my eye, when you look at, say, let's just take one, maybe one example of digital change, which could be... Something as straightforward as moving from like waterfall to agile. Let's just take that as a fairly well-trodden example. Uh, and then a bunch of people questioning, well, you know, is agile going to be successful? Is it this open-ended notion of constant exploration? And people not because they've read a few little snippets of what agile might be versus what it actually is. And it's obviously core to becoming an adaptable organization. But it seems to me that unless the top of the house of organizations recognizes that new way of working in really profound things like the governance structure of their organization, and by that I mean board-level governance structure, it becomes really impossible to implement it properly, doesn't it? Going Yes, uh, true. Uh, going from uh, V-cycle to Agile is really a journey, a cult- cultural journey in the mm. company. And if uh, all people in the organization starting from the top do not have that understanding that it changes their ways, ways of working, then it just won't happen. And so uh, that cultural change needs to be thoroughly thought out, pushed through all the teams mm. uh, coming from the top. The vocabulary needs to change also, and then it can be successful. Kamal, wh- what have your leadership team been looking at in terms of your digitization journey and, and, and how they show up as leaders? 
since I've been in this role for four years, I've seen quite a bit of change, a big change. Mm. Uh, one of the beginners, obviously, the, the now previous CEO explicitly asking the question to each of the business leaders saying, what are you doing in your part of the business in terms of digitizing the way that we work? And then explicitly ask that to be, don't tell me all the great things that you're doing. Tell me where are you getting stuck and how can we accelerate and how can we actually take out those roadblocks? So mm. yes, talking about the successes is good, but that's two minutes out of a 30 minute conversation. Right. 28 minutes, let's figure out how do we go faster. And, and it's in the 28 minutes that you're signaling the real change. The right? real change. Yeah. And that's where the struggle and the challenges are. And that's what we are there to solve as leaders. But the fact that he was explicitly asking these questions and making people to a certain extent uncomfortable, frankly, including himself, was a good thing. And that became mm -hmm. a top of mind topic for people to show. And I was getting more calls saying, well, what do we say? How do we do this? Can we do this together? Can we prepare the message together? Which is a wonderful thing that, you know, whatever inside input shaping that I can provide with my team from a technology perspective is great. But at the end of the day, it is their businesses that need to embrace this message and implement that and drive that change. And that created the traction. I still want to go back to the organization. Mm -hmm. The grassroots mm -hmm. is extremely, I think, important. Yes, leadership. Yes, the tone. Yes, uh, sending that message and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, if you cannot get it to the operator on the shop floor or the planner in the office or the salesperson on the street, all of that messaging don't mean anything. Right. Um, I mean, a great example. So we are experimenting. Maybe we are a um, little late on that journey, but a typical thing happens in a B2B sales environment is every salesperson is a territory. And then the way that you do is you go figure out what is the potential and what kind of segmentation you want to do with your customers. Who do you go after? How do you prioritize your time effectively? Mm. For years, we used very expensive spreadsheets that we got from uh, consultants. And that would have been a once or I'm twice. Sure they were excellent. I'm sure they were excellent. They're excellent. They're perfect spreadsheets, but they're <laughs> static exercises. And you would require a ton of investment to bring in people yeah. to do that once. It decays. Two years later, you say, oh, this is not valid anymore. I need to do it again. Now, we said, wouldn't it be smart if you build a small machine learning model that does this on a daily basis? Every mm -hmm. time you visit, that it updates. And, and at the beginning, the salespeople were quite skeptics. Hey, I know all my territory. You know, who's gonna, who, who is the, the machine to tell me what do I need to do and where do I need to visit and all that kind of stuff? It took about a month or so. Now, they're saying, actually, there is some merit into what this little thing is doing. And it saves me time. It gives me benefit in terms of the conversations that I, I'm having with the customers. And it is sending me to the more appropriate locations. At the end, I also, from my reaching my targets perspective, doing better. Mm. That message, starting with one salesperson to two mm. people to three people, now it becomes a snowball effect. And you know, this is happening in multiple ways, whether it's in security and changing behaviors, whether it is in uh, shop floor operations, whether it is in, as I mentioned, on the sales side. The more examples like this will actually reinforce the message I dare to say, even more stronger than the leadership message that's coming out. Leadership paves the path. Mm. No question says this is important. We have to do it. But the real change happens if we have more of these salespeople trusting the outcome of this machine learning model, saying this is actually helping me. It genuinely does. That, And they become the messengers of this rather than the CEO or me or somebody else, uh, you know, from a leadership perspective. All right. And, and Patrick, maybe a final word on the role of leadership in, in accelerating change. What have you seen in your organization around the importance of having to role model change? So not just perhaps the rhetoric of it, but actually, you know, changing the way that you lead and maybe, and maybe being thoughtful about that as a leader. 
Yeah, I think I think building on 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 your point, Kemal, is is yes. While it's important to get it to the to the to the to the end user, to the shop floor, etc. The problem of an organization is always you only know what you know. Yeah. But what you actually want to know is the thing you don't know, right? So while a, a, an operator, a user, a salesperson out there, they 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 come from a perspective they already know. Mm. But how do you now create this mindset of that they accept that they don't know, right? So, so th that's why you need the leadership team to pass that way um, very clearly. And that that includes that you very openly articulate as well to your audience in the company, you don't know either, right? So you as a leader, you don't know either. Right. So so, so that is very important messaging within our organization um, from a leadership team that every one of us now said, we don't know either. The only thing we can do is we can basically experiment together with you um, we can try to allocate capital to where we think it's the most promising area of the company, but then we can then we need to experiment, and we need to accept that not every experiment will basically prevail and be be super for the company. We probably have to accept that five, six, seven out of ten go the wrong way, yeah, and, and we have to stop it immediately. So, how do we also create this culture, this culture of mistakes, this failure culture? But also, how do you create a culture where you quickly say goodbye to, to things which don't work? Right. Yeah, so people don't get hang up on it, including the leadership team, where people say like, but I love this project, it's so good. But you say like, yeah, but if you look at all the objective criteria, that's you don't want to continue with yeah, that, right? Absolutely. So that is also in in terms of the messaging to your employee and to your workforce base, is is that you that you are showing yourself as vulnerable as well. Hmm. And uh, don't think that people don't believe like you are the superstars and you know everything and, 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 and that's why you set the path. You basically say, I know there's something out there because I feel and I have a hypothesis that something's out there. Do I know what it is? No. Do I know how to get there? No. So we need to figure it out together. Now, we've got a couple of minutes, but maybe some questions or observations from the audience. So, anybody likes to kick us off? You, you mentioned that you're doing some MPO or minimum viable organizations. Can you give us some examples of what do you mean by MPO? Yeah. So, so I have two, two, two examples I can share you with. One was built around a, a one of our, one of the largest challenges in our, in our industry as a whole is, is um, finding new talent and attracting new talent. So obviously, as you're trying to fish all the time in the same pond, the thing you get is the same people, right? So but because you're fishing with your competitors and everything, they do the same with us. So what you get is the same people. So we said we need to have a new pond where we start to fish at. So we created a, a, a small team completely outside the company um, to experiment with metaverse recruiting. Yeah? So do we get actually through a new channel of recruiting, do we actually get people um, from different ponds? And we did. Yeah. Um, strange people from a historic point of view or from so a legacy point of view. Aquatic you look, sort of people. Yeah, you, you yeah, look yeah. at them and they're like, well, okay. I thought uh, you were a logistics uh, company. Are yeah, you a pond yeah, company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 that was, so that was one example. Um, and, 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 and the other one was, and it's, and it's again very small things you just have to start an experiment with. Um, the other one is, is basically much more, much, much around um, innovation as such. Um, so you basically, what we have decided is to, to put innovation into two paths um, of the organizational model, one is to one is a, one is a group of people who focuses on core innovation, which is more, let's say, continuous improvement style, and then you have, let's say, really a a, a complete um, innovation group which basically sits out outside the company and does much more around scouting, 
partnerships, etc., where you build now an organization which focuses on innovation, which necessarily might not only be relevant for your core or not at all, yeah, but which might, which just fosters innovation outside the company and looks at new business models. Are there any trends where we need to invest into, etc.? Um, and and this is not part of the core of the core business of operation. Thank you for the question. We're going to get a little bit in trouble for this, but you had a very very quick question. <laughs> Just a little. I'm getting so many waving hands at the back, but go. On. And you need to look at the at the glare in the eyes as well. Yeah, as we learned that's yesterday, right. So. That's right. Just interested in the interesting that two of you enter the board in the next week. How you're implementing your board to invest in transformation, digitization, particularly in a level of economic uncertainty and an unwillingness to invest, particularly as we talked about earlier. Lots of these transformations, ERP, CRM solutions, either cost significantly more than anticipated or mm. Kamal, would you like to kick us off on that? First of all, I would be remiss to say my son is graduating from high school next week, so I'm looking forward to that as well. The the <laughs> the excitement of the board meeting took over that. Good, but, good uh, catch. Good yeah, catch. I need to recover. <laughs> um, <laughs> great question. There is, uh, I can say, three ways. At least that's what I'm trying to do. One is our own track record internally. You know what we have been able to achieve, and at least I can speak to the last four years that I've been in the role, where we started, where we are. Second is benchmarks, obviously, you look at what other people, the peers and uh, similar companies are doing. And, you know, that also gives you quite, in our case, stark insights about what we are doing and what we are not doing and what the opportunities are there. And then the third one is um, educating them on, on uh, what is happening in terms of trends. I mean, everybody hears scares around security and hacking and all that kind of stuff, the the buzz around AI and all, all of that, bringing it to what it means for us or what could it mean for us. And, you know, uh, talking about a little bit of the art of the possible, I think also helps to put it in context of, okay, AI can mean X, Y, and Z for us if I don't do this one on security, or this is how I can create more value on the backbone that just looks like a cost, but how can we turn it into a value conversation? Um, I think it's just bringing it to, to the business context of what it means for us makes a difference. Otherwise, generic messages are dime a dozen. I mean, it is mind-boggling. I turned the, I, I turned the volume down, frankly, hmm. to 95% of the noise out there. You need to be selective on what you listen and how you internalize it. Uh, but these are the three channels that uh, that at least is the flow of my presentation for ne- for next week. And now we end every episode of the show by asking what our guests are excited about doing next. And that could be, I am just dying to get home to see my family at this point, or it could be an exciting work thing that you're doing uh, in the next couple of months. So, Kamal, what are you excited about doing next? I don't know if it's excitement or it's a bit of nervousness. I have a board presentation that I need to finalize by Sunday, so that is... <laughs> a bit of both. That, that's keeping me, uh, keeping me <laughs> occupied mentally. But looking forward to finishing it. Well, we wish you the best of luck with Thank that. you very much. Thank you. Uh, Patrick. Yeah, so so very short short term is probably looking forward to the uh, to the speech later on of of, of the advisor from of the, the pope. Yeah, from the from the advisor of the pope. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because that's that was for me when I saw him on the agenda. It was like mind boggling that you think like the pope has an advisor on artificial intelligence. I know. You think like that's strange. So that's good to see because yeah, yeah. that's probably the most let's say um, historic organization you can get to. Right. right. So that's that's it. Will be interesting to hear. Uh, probably on the on the uh, on the midterm, similar to Kamal, um, we have um, our our supervisory board meeting end of the month um, to basically go through strategy and a couple of other things we need to talk the supervisory board through. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Also, 
excite them about mm. the change we, we have ahead of us and uh, make sure that they also buy into what we are trying to establish for the company. Sounds great. And Sylvan? Uh, I think I'm going to listen to the podcast that we just made because I think it's a great <laughs> insight into transformation. Yeah. <laughs> what an answer. What an answer. Well, uh, so thank you very much to the panel. Hopefully you, you've taken a, a number of insights away from that. I know that I have. A huge thanks to our guests this week. Thank you so much for being on the show. To our sound and editing wizard, Ben, and the AV team in the room for helping us out over the course of the last couple of days. And of course, to our audience and all our listeners. We're all on LinkedIn and Twitter. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week.